1: Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The Professional Parts People. Oh,
2: oh, oh, O'Reilly. Auto Parts.
0: You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.
3: The first 10 minutes were tiring. I was ready to give up, but my mom was yelling, don't
1: give up. Keep reeling it in. Could you imagine how big it would be if it wasn't in all that cold, cold water?
2: It looks like the climax to a horror film with
3: fishing gear added in. I'm out on the pulpit with a popping rod and it's like it's f***ing dolphins. God damn it. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Good morning, Degenerate Anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that overdoes it at Taco Bell and then calls dibs on Top Bunk. I'm Joe Sirmelli <laughs> uh, I'm Miles Nolte.
2: And I'm 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 relatively certain that I have not eaten at a Taco Bell since I passed the legal drinking age. Get out of here! I'm almost positive that that's the case. I don't I don't know that there's like a legitimate correlation there or if they have anything to do with each other. But I think that's that's how long it's been. I'm also struggling. I'm, I'm like killing time right now, dude. I have I I have I don't know that I have a whole lot to add to that setup. If I'm being honest, I'm just gonna <laughs> guess that your theme is farting or. Black sheep. I
3: don't know. It could be the nacho cheese chalupa, which I still enjoy. (laughs) No, it's neither of those things, though. It could have been either one. Either one could have worked. Uh, The theme I'm going with this week is is fish camp. And to clarify, I'm not talking about swank lodges, right? Like, you and I have Mm -hmm. both been blessed with the opportunity to stay at some pretty choice lodges over the years. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about those trips with a handful of your boys, like, all packed into a shitty motel room or a rental cabin or a house, right? Nobody's cooking for you. You're not there to be pampered. You're there to fish and live in your own filth for a few days.
2: Yeah. I I think the difference in our experiences. most of mine have involved tents, not permanent structures. Like every time Fair. when I think of fish camp, it's always either just sleeping out in the dirt or in a tent. Uh, but I'm yeah. with you. I do love fish camp.
3: Yeah, me too. I don't love camping camping, so that's why that <laughs> varies. But anyway, I got this idea because I recently had one of those trips. And sadly, it had been a while right? Like for many of us listening, those trips are getting harder and harder to pull off. No doubt. Right? Because... Like, the one friend you could rely on to vomit in the family room and make you forfeit your security deposit is now, like, running the children to ballet practice, too. Um, hold on, hold know? on. I'm
2: going to say that's another benefit to camping. You, there is no security deposit. You don't have to worry <laughs> about that. Just put, I'm just going to point
3: that out. You got me there, but there's also not a shower, which is important to me. <laughs> um, but, you know, that guy, he just doesn't have time to be the guy that doesn't end up fishing on day one anymore. You know, no, he does Because he's doesn't. too hungover. So, such yep. is life. But before I tell you about my recent crash pad adventure, uh, what was your favorite fish camp hang? I know you've been on many.
2: That's a hard one, man. I there are lots. Like I kind of want to wax poetic on on the
3: oh the days when I was
2: running spike camps as a guide, but I'm not going to do that. I, I think I'm going to focus on there was this this golden run in my late 20s that would happen mm-hmm. every year. I would quit my winter job, whatever it was, like six weeks before guide season would start, mm-hmm. and I just I just packed the truck, I'd grab the dog, and I'd go. Uh, there was this crew of like three good fishing buddies who would join for at least part, sometimes all of that trip. And I don't know. we did that for like, i want to say five straight years, right? Just right just exploring all over the mountain west. We'd like find new places we'd never fished every year, but we'd also go back to favorite places. and it was it was fantastic. it was it was like a a, a as I said, a golden time, right? Yeah. And and you'd have these I know you have this, right? We'd we'd run into what I like to call single serving friends. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah when you're
2: on the road, right? Yes. And they're people you have no <laughs> desire to stay in touch with. But yes, they make those stories of those nights or days or however long you spend with them. And and you and your crew can can always talk about. Remember that dude we ran into in that parking lot and he gave us that yep. one. He's like, Yeah, try this bait. And then we wound up <laughs> drinking the, the hooch that he made in his bathtub. And you get to hold on to those, even though you're never going to see those people again. And so we had a lot of those, and we caught a lot of big fish. So that's my favorite fish camp memory smattering.
3: I I think my best ever, which yours is better, but it was in Louisiana. And for transparency, it was actually an industry gig with Sims and Costa. It just happened that all the people they invited were like really good friends of mine that I fished with separately, right? It just turned out that way. Um, and they rented a house sight unseen in the Lower Ninth Ward, not too far from the French Quarter. And it was mm. weird because the place was immaculate and totally renovated, but, like, the house next door was partially burned down. Like, it was a very— Th- that's, it was a very, That's
2: very New Orleans.
3: <laughs> it's a very odd thing. Um, and we would just get lit up. We caught a bunch of tuna, huge redfish, grilled food. Someone in the neighborhood, like, died of an overdose out front. It was just good hangs, just wild <laughs> times in that house.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh. I feel a pivot coming on. You know what else (laughs) I hear is a wild time, Joe? Tell me. Catching fish on the (laughs) 13-fishing churro, which I just did yesterday, actually.
3: (laughs) It is a wild time, and thanks for bringing that up. Uh, yeah, so you know, right? The Churro is 13's version of like the very popular paddle tail swim bait right now. Yeah. Sure, sort of everybody has one.
1: Yeah. Um,
3: and thus far, I've only thrown them for smallies, but I appreciate the design very much, right? They're not uh, straight copycat baits like other companies have pumped out. The body has three joints that allow it, it like flutters on the paws. And I, yeah. I've seen it, I know it does this. And they have um, like a pretty snazzy keel design that keeps them horizontal.
2: They do. They do. Uh, crappie and panfish like to grab the tail and shake it, but they can't. Yes. They don't get the hook. Just in yep. case you're wondering, <laughs> the, 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 only the bass in the northerns do that. Let's not forget, though, that they part of the reason that all these fish want to consume them is that they're slathered in donkey sauce. <laughs> donkey sauce, which we like to slather all over this show as much as possible because we love thirteen, <laughs> we and do. they sponsor us. Anyway, you were uh, all of this. I think along your theme is because you recently spent some time in a, a modern-day fish camp, a modern-day version of fish camp, right? And and I know all about this. I know where it was. I know who you're with. But why don't you tell all, all of all the people out there? Give them the yeah. story.
3: Yeah, so this was in Ohio, and I was there to film the final episode of DOS Boat Season 3, right? And now mm-hmm. we were chasing some walleyes, doing a little catfishing, but we rented this monster of a house with a pool, game room. They had freaking asteroids, pool table (laughs) the works right now granted it was old like the whole place looked like it had been pieced together in the early 90s but for like five straight days I got to hang with some really fishy people my old buddy and uh frenemy will say of the show (laughs) Ross Robertson was one of them um but I was I was hanging with with dudes I consider legends photographer Brian Gregson he's our boy filmmaker R.A. Biotti who's a good friend of yours
2: both of those guys, I consider good friends, and I'm I'm lucky to have known them for as long yeah. as I have. And uh, look, I'm happy for you. All right, <laughs> I I want to say that I I I am very happy. I know you guys had a great time. I know that good good things happened. But I am pretty jealous. This I know is also true. I'm not. I'm not we jealous. You of the wall- too. Yeah. I'm not jealous of the walleye. You guys can have that. You That's be. fine. You you and Ross can go have the, your walleye. But the hanging out in fish camp, the bullshitting, the good people, the catfishing. I'm jealous of all of that. I am confident, however, that good things are going to come out of that trip, even though I wasn't there.
3: Yes, and like I said, you were missed. We we poured one or five out for you. Um, and then in your honor, I set up the mics and decided to channel some of that storytelling gold into segments for the show, right? Good so let's you. move Let's let's move into Smooth Moves, where you guys know we let guides, captains, uh, anybody really in the fishing industry these days bitch about dumb uh, or weird things their clients have done, right? And this will be the first installment you'll hear from what I'm calling the DOS Boat Ohio Sessions. And since he's the director of DOS Boat, we'll kick it off with the aforementioned R.A.B. Addy.
0: Oh, why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Terry?
3: Oh my god. So sitting with me here in Ohio, um while filming das Boat season 3, filmmaker extraordinaire Ra biotti you you said you just woke up from a nap. You were napping downstairs? I was
1: not napping because we we're working. So, I well, was Well, but I don't, you're trying sick. to
3: cover we're between things happening so you don't get in <laughs> trouble in this um it's kind of like a flop house i'd call it that we're in
1: yeah we're in this really bizarre little beach house and we (laughs) well we i mean look we've been on the road now for two weeks um and you've been seeing what we're doing we get up super early yeah we go to bed late, and so one of our mottos is uh you know you sleep when you can yeah oh exactly and so i was just yeah, yeah catching up on a little little siesta yeah and to wake yourself up you've got yourself a cold bush light just a little bush light for the farmers.
3: <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at the uh, notes about the guest my producer gave me, and it says here, you pretty much invented fly fishing videos. Is that accurate? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, man. Just just invented, I think, videos in general.
3: Right. I, yeah. Moving pictures was you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was like, I was like but... we
1: should make these pictures move.
3: <laughs> but no, seriously, man. Like. You, you, you have done so much on the video side, I mean, like pioneering things. You also are a fishing guide for a while, right?
1: I was a fishing guide growing up um, through high school and college, but, you know, we were kind of in the right place at the right time, which is a lot of, which is a lot of luck, right? Um, in terms of, you know, really surfing, skateboarding, right. skiing, right. snowboarding, like had gone through these media, like explosions in media growth. And so fly fishing, you know, took place in a lot of places where those activities happen. Sure. Therefore, a lot of people were inspired by yeah. that content. Yeah, in and it was fairness,
3: like, just, uh, so you don't just shoot fly fish, you shoot all kinds of things. You're not just like the fly dude, right?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, we, that's kind of where we cut our teeth. Yeah. And when I say we, you know, I have to, I, I can't just say I, because no. I've always worked with so many sure. really great people. Um, but you know, you, you had a bunch of young fishing guides who grew up skiing and skateboarding and yeah. doing all that stuff and watching this media. And it, it was like, why don't we have that? Right. Right. Like, yeah. why don't, why, why don't we have content that's more like lifestyle based and fun and exciting? Um, you know, because you got to remember fly fishing back then was like, there was a lot of tweet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, a river runs through and I just come out and people were like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And it started to show this like other side. And it's like, so yeah. So there was actually an explosion right when we started making content. Um, it was pretty cool. You have like probably six to 10 different people with the same vision and they all started making content within like a year or two. Yeah. And then that blew up into like Tom by of the Drake magazine. You know, there were so many people making content almost overnight. Well, so many, it was like 10 people, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that they're like oh let's have this event and let's let's make the 5 minutes of fly fishing video awards. right yeah, and tom sure. bait had come from powder magazine right right so it's it's basically we just mimicked what these what other what you were seeing in the other sports, sports yeah doing. yeah well dude seriously man i've been watching your stuff for
3: many many years and it's it's very cool that, like you, like you spent today pointing a camera at me. And I'm like, here's a thing I never thought would happen. <laughs> Friggin' RABT me. It's fun working with you, man. But <laughs> no, this has been this has been a very fun week. Um, but I mean, so we're doing smooth moves here, you know what that's all about. Yep. You could you could throw a smooth move from something you've seen while while filming, while guiding. You could go a lot of different directions. So I'm very I'm curious because I don't I don't know like what's gonna happen here. But the floor is yours, man. Make us laugh. Make us wince. Make us vomit. I don't know. So, lots
1: of stories. I think the one that I have not told before. Oh, I like that. I like um, exclusive. I'm, I'm thinking through how I can tell it and be very sensitive to different people involved. But basically. When I was a young fishing guide in the Roaring Fork Valley, um, like I said, we were just coming out of like a river runs through it. Mm -hmm. And so fly fishing had ballooned almost overnight into this activity that like everybody had to do when they're like on vacation. Right. Yeah. And so you've got, you know, everyone's like, well, we're going to be, we're going to be in the mountains. So we have to go rafting and we have to go horseback riding and we have to go fly fishing and like check all these little boxes. And so we did a lot of, (laughs) a lot of that. And so a byproduct is you just got a ton of characters all the time from all over the country, all over the world, just tons of transient people trying fly fishing. So one morning we had some folks from the South and they showed up, you know, heavy accents and they wanted to try out fly fishing. And so I had a gentleman who owned probably one of the biggest NASCAR race courses or like race facilities i'm not going to name the exact one okay <laughs> but, yeah. but it was in the south yeah i and there's yeah. you know there's been some funny movies made about that course that uh-huh. track but uh mm-hmm. so anyway we had this we had this gentleman and uh he called me boy you know he's like hey boy because i mean i was 20 yeah maybe right, right and he's he was an older gentleman he's like hey boy he's like why don't you come over here and like help me Like, how do i set up this fly rod thing over here and like super nice guy but uh you know, very, very southern. Um and so I, I had these I had him, I think I had his like his brother in law or somebody. We're fishing. Uh get him set up and I'm downstream helping his his brother. And he's he's hooting and hollering at me and yelling at me. He's like He's very excited all of a sudden, and he's motioning. And he's like, he's like, hey, boy, you got it. I can't really hear him through like the mount, like like the rumble of the river. And I'm like, and so I'm kind of I'm like, what do you like? What's going on? What's, I'm like, what's up, buddy? He's like, what do you need? He's like, yeah. boy, he's like, okay, get your net ready. It's coming down. He's like, grab your net, get ready. And I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. And he's kicking <laughs> and he's shuffling and he's moving around. He's like, okay, here it comes. It's coming down. And he's really animated. He's right. Really excited about this. And I have no idea what's happening. And there's all this mud and, you know, bugs and all this stuff flowing down the stream towards us. And we're like 15, 20 feet maybe down below him. And I I start to see like something. There's like a bunch of color coming through the water. And um, this big pink shape starts to kind of emerge. And I thought maybe, oh, maybe he's dropped something. Maybe he's dropped his water bottle. Like, I don't know. So anyway, I have my net ready. And this big pink object flows through. And I dip my net and and grab it and come up. And it's just a big veiny bastard.
0: <laughs> just, well a, I mean, like
1: just a baby arm <laughs> of a uh, of a dildo, right? And I mean, the kind that takes like four D batteries. Like, oh wow, yeah, yeah. it's got gears uh-huh. and stuff. Like, this is a big one. That's like three hundred one level. You don't yeah, buy that when your first yeah. time in I mean, the shop. Yeah, someone was yeah. super bummed when they lost it. Yeah. right. They're like, like <laughs> it, it, it wasn't cheap, and so. And so I'm standing there. And, Wait, uh, before you
3: go on though, uh, did he legitimately think, think he had a fish? Like he legit, he.
1: No, okay, I think it right. was. Okay, so it was stuck in some rocks by his feet, and he knew, like he could see it, and he was really excited about what he had found. I
3: see. And then so he, it wasn't it. he wasn't no, on his rod, he wasn't fighting no, no, some no, guy. No, 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 no,
1: no, that would have been amazing. God. <laughs>
3: Got it. Can okay. you imagine? No, you, no, no, no. I, I was
1: imagining it until we clarified. No, yeah, no, I'm sorry. That'd no, no, have been no, no. no. I should have. Yeah, I should have I should have just lied and said he actually hooked it. No, he. So he's, he, no, he was really excited about this, and he didn't want it. He wanted to get it and wanted me to net it, and like didn't want it to escape, right? <laughs> so anyway, I he's he's still really excited, and he's like, oh boy, oh boy, let's see that thing. And I, you know, I like walk up to him and I show it to him, and it's sitting in the net, and he's looking at it, and he's like, oh boy. Could you imagine how big it would be if it wasn't in all that cold, cold water? <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, so anyway, so he had his prize and he, he was shaking he, it around he and stuff. It, he, and, uh, yeah. And so what he did is, uh, you know, he'd shove in the top of his waders and he, he was walking around. And so throughout the course of the day, we are w- walking along this river trail and there's a ton of people from Aspen, you know, like like little yoga people running around and <laughs> bikers and like all the beautiful people right are like out recreating and being healthy everyone's super nice right and so as you're walking as they're coming by they're like oh hey boys how's everything going are you catching any fish today and every single one he would be like yeah we got this and he'd reach in and talk and pull it out and, and, and shake this big pink dong around and uh <laughs> and I was like I was like dude we're gonna they're gonna call the cops like <laughs> So, anyway, that's probably my... Did you get a good tip that day for that net job? Just the tip.
3: Just the tip. <laughs> Boom! We're out. Segment done right there. You know, this
2: is true. At the fish camp I mentioned earlier, we like to fish as one stretch of river that paralleled a, a pretty busy trucking highway.
3: Mm-hmm. You couldn't mm-hmm. see
2: the river for most of it, but it was right there. You could hear, while you were fishing, you could hear the trucks going by. And... uh on more than one occasion, I found sex toys circling uh-huh. in an eddy, like right beside <laughs> brown trout, <laughs> sipping delicate mayflies. It was... Yeah. The I haven't used that anywhere, but the metaphor always struck me as potent. It's going to wind up in something I write one day. I know that. Yeah. yeah. And... I got to say I'm a little I'm a little surprised it took us this long to run into a dildo related story in Smooth Moves. Like that was that was inevitable, but well, our, I, <laughs> that one was a ringer.
3: <laughs> yeah, but that's just it, right? It's not like we haven't heard others. It's not like nobody yeah. else has has thrown one that's, out there, but it, it's mostly just been uh, you know, like I found one. Well, like oh, you know, big yeah, deal. Of right? course so you, you did. found one. Who hasn't? Fine. Or you get the dudes who are like uh, my buddy rigged one and caught a fish with it, which in my yeah. opinion, that's a cry for attention. Like, you're trying too hard when you do I, that.
2: I have, I have already given my opinion on penis-shaped lures. Solidly opposed. We don't need to revisit that.
3: The image Well, that ironically, with though, me, we're going to later, whether you know it or not. But. <laughs> <laughs> Just ironically. Great. Well, we all have that
2: <laughs> to look forward to. On RA's story, though, the reason I like that, the, the image that sticks with me is the guy parading around, holding onto that thing in, in Aspen,
3: of all, mm-hmm. like
2: I, that's <laughs> that's what I appreciate about that story is, is the the backdrop and the way that he treated it. Hopefully, I'll be able to parade another victory trophy around Bozeman this week when I beat your ass in that weekly competition we call Fish News.
1: Fish News.
3: That escalated quickly. Quick bit of sad, kind of bummery news before we get started here. So we just covered.
2: Don't you're horning in on my territory, Sir Melly. The sad news is
3: I own the sad
2: news in fish news, (laughs) not you. That's my (laughs) that's my world.
3: Sorry, how dare how dare (laughs) I be sad without running it by you first? (laughs) Anyway, so we just covered Hojacks Bar and Grill, and that's my bar. Remember, Dirty Wing Joint in New York, in New York's Mud Shark territory. So several people hit me up to alert me that, according to Google, it's closed permanently. Oh, no. Another another COVID casualty? I, that I could not figure out why it was closed, um, but I, so I really wanted to go there, right? And their yeah. website is still active, but it appears not to have been updated since uh, very late last winter. So, mm. um, you know, we also had a guy write in and say... That was a disservice because, like, those wings will, like, clear you out. You know what I mean? Like, you eat too many yeah. of those particular wings. So I don't know what the real story is, but we may never find out. So I, I just thought I'd bring that up. In case, in case anybody was car tripping across the country right now, like, <laughs> headed there for those wings, turn around, okay? Go it somewhere works. else. Yep. Um, And if anyone has another suggestion for good wings and perhaps a, a good garbage plate, which they had at Hojax up there in the Salmon Belt— let us know. Are you familiar with the garbage plate? You know what that I am is. I'm not. I'm you not. You have something similar in Hawaii. I think it's your plate lunch, where they just take like burgers and dogs and put them on a plate and then smother them with like gravy and all kinds okay, of weird stuff. Okay, that's not plate lunch, lunch. For, for okay. the record, plate lunch all is right. a bigger
2: genre of food. You're thinking about the loco moco. Loco yes, moco. Continue.
3: That's what I was thinking. Anyway, they had garbage plates uh, at the uh, at the Hojacks, so I we'll have to find a new place for them. Uh, also. We definitely had some interest in the rosary bead split shot sticker. Yeah, from that one that one, one kind of hit. Right. So all I can say right now, right, we'll we'll work on it. We'll we'll see. Um, but we even had a few great suggestions. Like like one dude said, the cross should be a snag hook, weighted snag hook, <laughs> not orange yarn. And then I had a fan reach out on instant. He was like, "I'm a pastor and a religious yes. authority, and I approve that sticker." Yeah. So that's like a ringing in right there. So, I, and I like the
2: one guy who wrote in and said, uh, you know, you guys have to get an actual Catholic to do the art on that, otherwise I'm going to be offended. I, I thought that was, <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty funny.
3: Well, if anybody out there is a nun or a deacon that happens to be crafty, <laughs> crafty with a Sharpie, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're listening to Bent. Uh,
2: and you um, should write
3: in. So, I don't know. We'll see. See if we can make that work. I hope so. I hope it
2: comes together. And, uh, in the meantime, we have some some actual business to attend to because it is time for fish news. Just so you're all aware, this is a competition. Joe and I do yeah. not know what stories the other person is bringing, and we are competing for, I would say, the adoration of our our Caesar, shall we call him? <laughs> <laughs> That's Phil, great. the audio engineer. Yes. Uh, this week, Joe is up first, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna back cleanup. So, what do you got, Joe?
3: Yeah, so a bunch of you fine folks forwarded this story along, and I thank you for that, because it's giving me a reason to shit on trolling, which we all know is something I really enjoy, personally. Mm -hmm. Um, And by now, I'm sure a lot of you have caught wind of the new state record King Salmon caught in Michigan. But seriously, I don't think I've ever gotten this much of a kick out of a state record story before, okay? So here's what happened, and we're going to reverse engineer it a little bit, all right? So on Saturday, August 7th, 19-year-old Luis Martinez boarded Icebreaker Charters in Ludington, Michigan, with his family. By 7.30 a.m., Luis had put a 47.86-pound King Salmon on deck, breaking the previous state record of 46.06 pounds, which had stood since 1978. All right? So old record, right? Yeah, like double his age, more than double his age. Yeah, exactly, right? So this catch, of course, just totally thrilled DNR because the fish was in really great shape, right? They got great samples from it to study. And according to those guys in the story, like this really says some pretty positive, good things about the the health of the salmon population in Lake Michigan and in particular, their food source, right? To grow them that big, they got to be eating good. So... It was, it was like sort of all positive, this catch, right? So those are those are the basic facts. But what makes this story awesome is Luis himself, right? The, the, the first time the kid ever bought a fishing license was the night before this trip, okay? So he did not angle. And the story says that this was the first time he was ever salmon fishing. But I think there's like some miscommunication here. Uh, because I wouldn't be surprised, based on how they're playing up, that that he only bought the license the night before. This might have been his first time fishing. Period. So there's a little conflict in there. But regardless, maybe, maybe
2: like he went when he was a kid before he yeah, had to buy a license. Exactly. But this is his first serious could fishing be. Yes.
3: Yeah. So, right. So he just bought this license Friday night on the boat Saturday. So in the shot back at the dock, which I'll I'll post in my uh, Instagram story this week, Luis looks like he could kind of not give a shit. Okay. <laughs> And dare I say, like, be happier in front of a computer with a headset on than fishing. (laughs) Now, listen, before you jump on me and say, well, that's not fair, okay? Here's some quotes from Louise from the story, okay? First one, Ringer. I honestly fell asleep the whole way until my mom said, you're up. And I was like, what? (laughs) They handed me the fishing pole, fishing pole, and I started reeling the thing in. So that was the first one right away. I was like, oh, he was sleeping? They were trolling. There we go. Next quote. The first 10 minutes were tiring. My arms were sore. I was ready to give up, but my mom was yelling, don't give up. Keep reeling it in. Right? <laughs> Wait, 19? 19. Okay. Oh. These are, yeah. And then here comes the clincher. The fish started to jump out of the water. You could see it. And they were like so excited because it was huge. I was like, it's just a fish. There's nothing (laughs) special about it. At least that's what I thought. So people people are comparing this to winning the lottery, which I get and I would say is accurate, right? You bought a license the night before you go out on a boat and like, bang, state record king. I just think it's funny because like the gravity of the situation I think is is really kind of lost on him. You know what I mean? Clearly. He's like, "Yeah, cool." Okay? Like I don't know, like it's I just imagine a fish. Yeah, like I imagine like this is how like Phil would behave in the situation. You know what I mean? Like impossible <laughs> to wake up that morning like I don't want to go fishing. Sleeping in the wagon queen family truckster on the way to the dock and then just curling up on the bench seat of the boat and going back to sleep. Um, anyway, so final thought for debate, because this story illustrates something I've always thought very well, right? So in my opinion, the person who should get credit for breaking the 43-year-old record is the captain of the boat, not the guy that reeled it in. Right? Absolutely because in tr- correct. In trolling scenarios, especially like this, where clients are just being handed the rod— The boat is catching the fish. The captain is finding the fish and choosing the lures. And personally, like, I rag on trolling all the time. It's not that I don't ever do it, but the only time I feel like I'm part of the victory when trolling is when I'm actively working and, like, setting that spread. Like, in tuna trolling, I want to be dirty and, you know, rigging the ballyhoo and deciding how far back this will go and how far back that will go, so that when something gets bit, like, you feel like your intuition and knowledge helped make that happen, right? But... Just recently, so we were filming Doss Boat in Ohio with my boy Ross Robertson, and he put us on some really nice walleyes. He always does. I credit him with the biggest walleye I ever reeled in. It was with him years ago. Super dialed. Super dialed, and I appreciate that so much, but he he noticed that bite. You know what I mean? He grabbed that rod. He handed it to me. I reeled and followed instructions, you know? So I, nice fish, but did I catch that fish? I don't think I did. Like if that had been a record fish, Ross caught that fish. I just I just reeled it in. You just so
2: happened to be holding the rod and I just happened to be holding up. the rod.
3: So not taking anything away from Luis, although maybe like a tiny bit, just because it's funny because I don't <laughs> think he are. wanted I don't think he wanted to be there anyway. Okay. But I mean, I just always get a chuckle out of these trolled records in a lot of these scenarios because it's like, man, you just happen to be there. It's exactly right.
2: So you were just the warm body on the crank. That's Correct. It. That's all you Correct. did, did yep. which, which requires very little skill, like a, yeah. a, maybe a little bit of endurance. Like, oh, you had to reel it in for 10 minutes. I'm so sorry for you. But like, there's well, no skill there.
3: Yeah. I mean, look, and I'm not taking away. I mean, a 47 pound king, that's going to tussle, a huge king, right? That's a huge king. But even then, I mean, when you're in a charter boat scenario, you know, you got at least a captain, maybe a mate, too. Doing the same thing, telling you, like, real slow or real faster, move yeah. over here, point your rod this way, do this, do that. And as long as you're listening and following instructions, chances are you're going to land it, you know? So I just think about that stuff when you know there's so many guys out there that are, like, really chasing something that would like, kill to be the guy that, yeah. that has the state Spent record of Michigan King. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So
2: I think right now this is a great moment for me to, to admit that I saw this story in about eighty different places. Yeah. And I never read it. Oh. And and this was like, I'm so glad you did because I looked at that, <laughs> I was like, this is there's nothing here. There's no there there. And I'm gonna apologize. Oh, there was to so all. there was so much. I know I'm I'm admitting that I'm wrong right now. I want to apologize to all the listeners who sent it to me, like, dude, you gotta check this out. And I just made an assumption that was totally incorrect that this was not like oh yeah, he caught a record.
3: Cool, whatever. Well, dude, we skip over a lot of record stories. Yeah, People we don't realize a lot in the podcast. We do fish news. There's some kind of record horse shit every week. Most of them is like, guy went, caught it. Great. Like, who cares? That's, and that's what I assumed, so I yeah. never read it. But yeah. I'm so glad you did,
2: because <laughs> those quotes were absolute <laughs> oh, gold. And epic. I can only imagine, I haven't dug into it, but I can only imagine the anger and the vitriol and the fighting going on between <laughs> people who are like, that kid didn't deserve that fish. I've been trying my whole life. I, I can only imagine. And that's what makes for a lot of our good banter, right? Yeah. We talk a lot about disagreements between anglers or factions yeah. angling. Right? Like yeah. fishing culture just has all these layers of confrontation, some of which are healthy and fun, like our constant good-natured walleye bashing. Others yep. are more annoying like the superiority complex that fly fishers even the ones who suck like really cling to as an identity yeah. and and others are actually destructive like the obnoxious social media battles right that we talk about but there's one thing that brings most of us together dolphins
1: <laughs>
2: just about everybody loves a dolphin and and why wouldn't you I dolphins hate are dolphins <laughs> You can you can go ahead and do that, but you're you're in the minority because
3: dolphins are like smart, curious, you know why? playful. Because I'm spending two hundred dollars on gas and I'm offshore. I'm like there's shit busted everywhere. <laughs> I'm on the bow. I'm on the pulpit. I'm out on the pulpit with a popping rod, and it's like it's f***ing dolphins. God damn it! Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. You, you can have that opinion, but you're again. I think you will
2: recognize that you're in the minority. I mean, dolphins are like aquatic puppies. Mm-hmm. Just about everybody like like there are a few people out there who hate puppies, and I think they're equal to the dolphin haters. If I had to guess, I personally I don't agree with you because I've seen I've seen lots of dolphins in my life. I've swam with dolphins. I've surfed with dolphins. I've I've watched them ride God knows how many bow wakes. I've even had them steal fish off my line, and they still make me happy every single time. And I, I think that most people can agree with that.
3: You ever see one with your kids on the beach and you're like, look, kids, there's a dolphin, but they don't ever see it because it's only rolling every once in a while. And it, like, it goes from cute to like angry. I'm like, look right there. Keep looking. Don't turn. There it was. Did you see it? And they're like, no, nah, I didn't see anything. Else. Like it just. Uh, sorry. You're getting me going on dolphins. I know, I keep we're, we're, real- <laughs> at some
2: point, we're going to have to dig into your dolphin hate, but I'm, I'm still confident that you are in the minority. But yeah. I recently learned something about dolphins that I never knew before. Are you familiar with mud ring feeding?
3: Uh, yes, that's where they get up real shallow, right?
2: Different, but we'll, we'll cover, we'll cover off on that one too. Okay. Like that's the, what you're thinking of is I'm a I'm not going to ruin it,
3: but I think of like, it's a tactic. They, st- okay, exactly. Like, go ahead. And, and,
2: yeah. and dolphins have all kinds of creative and interesting feeding techniques they've come mm-hmm. up with because they're smart. And I'm sure you've seen video and, and the one that you're talking about, uh, is called strand feeding,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Where you
2: get this whole group of dolphins and they push bait fish, up shallow, and they actually yep. create their own bow wave that throws bait fish up onto the sand. Yeah, and then the, the dolphins throw themselves up just enough on land to eat the fish, and then they can kind of scoot back into the water. They also do something called crater feeding, where they swim along the bottom and, and they send out those sound waves in order to mm-hmm. echolocate. They can actually echolocate prey that's hiding under the surface of the sand. And then when they find when those hidden nuggets, they they swim up a little, they get ahead of steam. And they plunge their beaks down in the substrate and come up with their snack. And they, they leave behind these big craters in the bottom, gotcha. which is why it's called okay. crater feeding. They've also got this other behavior with the the highly technical name of, quote, fish whacking, where they use their flippers to knock bait fish into the air and then spin back around and consume the stunned prey. But maybe the coolest and most cooperative dolphin feeding behavior is mud ring feeding. This was first observed in the Florida Keys in 1999, and then written up for the first time a few years later. And it goes like this. A group of bottlenose dolphins finds a school of baitfish, almost always mullet, on a shallow flat. One of the dolphins then starts swimming rapidly in a wide circle, keeping its tail near the bottom and kicking up a plume of mud. That dolphin accelerates and closes the circle, and it creates like a mud plume enclosure with the baitfish inside. Mm Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. upon being caught in what is essentially like a mud pen, the bait fish try to escape by jumping out where the pot of dolphins is waiting to catch them with open mouths. Okay. It's pretty cool. It's okay. it's definitely worth looking up on YouTube the next time you're bored.
3: I have either seen this on Blue Planet or Bill Dance Saltwater. It was one or the other. I don't remember. I
2: sure hope it was Bill Dance. <laughs> but, but here's how this counts as, as fish news, actually newsy. Since... This feeding behavior was first recorded 22 years ago. It's only ever been seen in Florida. Mm -hmm. Dolphins are known to have localized fishing tactics. Certain behaviors that a group of dolphins in one area figured out and then they passed down through the generations. And mud ring feeding has up until now remained totally unique to the dolphins that are in and around Florida. But researchers recently observed bottlenose dolphins in Belize doing the same thing. And this appears to be a totally new behavior for this population. Now, my first assumption upon reading this was that some dolphin from Florida, like got a wild hare, maybe got in some trouble with its Floridian pod and just bailed to Belize. But it, it turns out I don't, I don't know very much about dolphins because I was completely wrong. They don't do that. They don't just bail out and go to a different area. <laughs> Researchers hypothesized that the Belize Dolphins figured out the strategy on their own. They're not just biting the style of their Florida cousins like like high school kids from Michigan after spring break. Since <laughs> Belize has significant mudflat habitat, much like parts of Florida, it makes sense that the Dolphins might independently discover that they can corral bait by stirring at the mud in a circular motion. I, for one, am no fan of mullet when I'm flats fishing. And so I'm I'm hoping that dolphins worldwide start figuring out how to just kill them on the flats, and that I someday get to observe this phenomenon in person while I'm sight casting to either tarpon or jacks standing on a flat. That's what I hope.
3: Why the mullet hatred? What's wrong with some mullets up on the
2: flats? I mean, I think you know as well. They're they're the most unpredictable, neurotic fish out there, and you're you're stocking up on whatever, like your jacks. Or your bonefish, or whatever it is, and then all of a sudden, some mullet's just like ah! And he goes flying out of the water and <laughs> spooks everything within within the area. Like the fish that you're just trying to get up on for no reason. You didn't do anything to that mullet. They just throw themselves out of the out of the water for no reason and freak everything out.
3: I I I know that happens. I don't know if that's ever happened to me specifically. Really? because i feel like yeah like bone fishing and stuff i've always done in in like abaco or turks and caicos and i feel like there were no mullet there on those oh, flats that has but, happened to me more times than i can count but i mean seeing it in louisiana where you're going skinny for reds and it's like mullet 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 oh 400 mullet just went into the sky <laughs> we need to go over there over right there. now so i don't know i don't yeah. share the same hatred for mullet those you dolphins hate, are, so wait you like mullet but hate dolphins. I think
2: that that puts you in a very unique category.
3: No, I, I think it's just it's just a difference in what we do. Like in, the, in the, the the salt scene over here, dolphins can either throw you off, like you'll burn some gas chasing dolphins because you see just mayhem out in the distance yeah. and you think it's stripers or whatever. I've done that. And I've also been in scenarios where like you're on a good bunker pod and you know you're marking bass or something underneath it and the dolphin has just come in and it's like, well, that's done now, you know?
2: Okay, I've never had that happen. The other one, I've definitely chased down dolphin thinking, oh, something's going on over there, but I've never had <laughs> I'll, them. I'll, I'll tell day. you, and
3: I don't know if you've experienced this, even though I know you've been there, the scariest, meanest, most asshole dolphins are the freshwater pink dolphins. Oh, yeah, they the are. Amazon. But
2: I also love them. I think they're kind of amazing.
3: I thought they were super neat until I'm like, I just want to release this nice peacock bass <laughs> that I, after all the fight and all the fun it's given me, I just want it to go back to its home And they, you want to talk about correlation between puppies and dolphins. Those things were like dogs, man. Like, they would not go away. They were like dogs begging at a dinner table. Yes. Almost the entire time, there were one or two of those pink dolphins around our boat, and they would come take your hand off at the wrist if you let them. Like, they were aggressive. (laughs) You let a peacock go, (laughs) like, they were there. They were on it. I have video where we're like, please, please get back to the root snarl, little fish, and, like, just pink dolphins blowing them up out of the water so
2: i have, I have some of that video myself yeah. yeah yeah
3: so pink dolphins yeah dolphins hey hey let us know Do you love them or hate them i don't know they're okay uh <laughs> even when i was a kid like someone give me a shark coloring book and a dolphin and whales coloring book i'm like i don't want the dolphin and whales coloring what's book. wrong with you i don't want that what's wrong with you
0: the crickets so head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list I have no
3: transition whatsoever to this story. I've been struggling to think on it. Uh, there's there's no there's no clear connection, so I'm just going to get into it. Um, this one comes from the Bangor Daily News, uh, Maine. For those of you who don't know where Banger is, and it <laughs> sets up an interesting debate. Okay, so uh, the, according to this story by Bob Mallard, Maine is poised to receive four point five billion dollars from the Federal American Rescue Plan designed to help states recover from losses due to the COVID-19 pandemic, okay? Now, $3.2 billion of that goes into COVID testing, vaccinations, uh, unemployment benefits, like super COVID directly related things, okay? But it leaves an extra $1.3 billion sort of just hanging out there, which can be used according to the story however Governor Janet Mills sees fit. And she says she's going to put that money into uh, the main jobs recovery plan to help boost the economy. But she's already earmarked 20 million of this taxpayer money to, quote, modernize two fish hatcheries and install upgrades at all eight of the Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife hatcheries, right? Hmm. So Mallard, who is a, a pretty well-known guide, outdoorsman, and writer, right, he's been around, um, is asking is that really what we should be doing with that money? And if so, is that fair to the non-fishing masses, right? So Mallard says that uh, the Wildlife and Fisheries Department claims recreational fishing brings $320 million to the state economy annually. But then he did other research uh, with the Federal Reserve that shows Maine's gross state product in 2020 was $66.2 billion. And I'm sorry for the numbers, but it, they have to be there. That matters. It, that right, it matters, right? And so th- what that means is that recreational fishing represents less than one-half of one percent of the total gross state product. Yeah. So then Bob goes on to say that uh, there's a press release that claims there were 350,000 licensed anglers in Maine in 2020— that's residents and non-residents combined, but the real number was more like 250,000. If that's true, he says if you do the math and look at Maine's 1.3 million residents, less than 15% held a license in 2020. So what he thinks is that this is a reaction, this, this, this money going to hatcheries, Is a reaction to the 20% bump in license sales in 2020, which a lot of states saw, right? We don't need to beat Mm -hmm. that to death. There were a lot more anglers out there, a lot more licenses sold. Um, But he brings up the argument, which is a fair one, I think. He says, like, hey, can we bank on those people year after year? Or as the pandemic slowly fades out and people get back to work and a little bit more normal life and so on, will they be there? Because $20 is a... Pretty big investment in like sort of an uncertain future in, in that department, right? So I'll wrap this up with, with a quote from the story. And this is sort of drives his, his, his problem with all this home. Mallard writes, most disappointing was Mills' statement that hatcheries were at the core of Maine's fisheries. This statement is misleading, dangerous, and somewhat self-serving because the state government does the stocking. The idea that stocking is the most important component of Maine's recreational fisheries completely ignores what Maine is best known for, wild native Mm -hmm. fish. So to promote the stocking of hatchery-raised fish, many of which are non-native, over wild native fish, including some found primarily or solely in Maine, is a disservice. And we've certainly covered issues in fish news before with problems that Maine has had with non-native species. So I don't know. I grabbed this because, like, to some you could hear, "Oh man, that's great." They're gonna put Maine's gonna put all this money into into fishing. Mm -hmm. But here is a guy who's pretty hardcore angler, pretty plugged in, and I actually see some of his points. Is that the best use of that money right now? I think I actually agree with him. I kind of think I do too.
2: Instead of hatcheries, if that money had been earmarked for habitat restoration. Right. I don't, I think it would be an easier argument to support. Yeah. Because that has a a broader based value for more citizens. When you're talking about hatcheries, you're really just talking about the people who want to go fishing and keep fish. Right. So, yeah, I think, I think that's a pretty salient point. The thing, and this is not, this is not really germane to your story. It's sort of a sidebar, but. Only fifteen percent of Maine residents hold a license.
3: That's that is
2: shocking to
3: me. That's according that's according to his math. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going by by his research and what stats he had in the story. But I mean, regardless, I mean, I get the point that he's making. You know, a lot of states make this claim, and it makes you wonder when the government agency says, "Oh, well, this state makes so this much money off fishing per year." But do you really know that? Is that inflated? Is that padded out? You don't really know. But at face value, I mean you see it in a press release like Maine to spend 20 million on fishing. You know what I mean? Like it's it's very easy, I think, for some fishing folks to be like, oh, good for them. That's good. That's yeah, stimulus money going doing the right things and the right stuff. But when you really break it down, it's like ah, I don't know. We're we could doing, have like, done better.
2: we yeah, they, I mean, do be- they could do better. They could do better with that, I think.
3: Same thing here with Jersey. Like, uh, do we need to redo all our fish hatcheries? Like, they're making fish and supporting what everybody needs for the stocker season in the spring. Like that would would that be the best use of similar money here? No, I don't think it would. So, no. just kind of puts a different spin on some some COVIDy stuff and gets. I like I like how he's thinking. I like how yeah. he's questioning.
2: Yeah, you know? yeah, no, I, I, that that sounds like a really interesting piece. Um, I have zero connective tissue between yeah, that. Yeah, that's what fine. I'm going to we do. had none you know today. What? That, that's, that's, that's not true. Right. My first transition was seamless. Okay, no,
3: it was that was good. That was. You no, got to give right. me credit there. I will. That was good.
2: Um, but I'm I'm just going to follow up on something from previous fish news. That's what I'm about to do. I'm, I'm following up on the story I told a few weeks ago about Josh Jorgensen, also known as Black Tip H, and the very large tarpon that he caught in the Pacific. In that segment, I said I wanted to dig deeper into that population of fish without having to cover questionable handling, world records, or angry YouTube commentary. Well, Today's the day! Listener Ben Kurth sent me some additional reading on the topic of tarpon in the Pacific, but before I get into that, let's do a quick recap. Over the past few decades, anglers on the Pacific side of southern Central America and northern South America have been encountering tarpon, which initially caused quite a stir, but is becoming more commonplace. Though researchers know how the fish got there, some controversy remains over whether the fish are migrants, if they're reproducing, and what impact they're having on the ecosystem. In the video we talked about, Jorgensen and his guide refer to the tarpon they catch as, quote, invasive, a loaded and possibly inaccurate term. I wanted to dig in and better understand this population of fish and what we do and don't know about them. When anglers talk about tarpon, they're talking about Atlantic tarpon. There is another species called Indo-Pacific tarpon, but they're not a primary sport fish, and they don't get nearly as big. Atlantic tarpon have historically been found in, well, the Atlantic, and (laughs) they've been happily cruising around in that one ocean, munching on baitfish and gulping air for about 113 million years. Just over a century ago, in 1914, the Panama Canal was completed, connecting the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans through the Isthmus of Panama. Tarpon were first spotted in the Pacific locks of the Panama Canal in the late 1930s. And then, 10 years later, large adults were identified swimming around in Panama Bay. They have slowly spread up and down the coast and are now found from Guatemala to the Colombia-Ecuador border, with large adults becoming more and more common in the southern part of that range, which is where Jorgensen caught his fish. The most recent comprehensive study that I could find about this topic was published in 2019 in the journal Reviews in Fish Biology and Fisheries. And after reading that study and a number of other sources, both research-based and anecdotal, I feel like I have a better grasp on the situation. There is no doubt that tarpon have migrated through the canal. Interestingly enough, concern over aquatic species, specifically sea snakes, migrating from the Pacific to the Caribbean almost prevented the canal from being built. Biologists ultimately concluded Hmm. that sea snakes couldn't survive the passage because much of the canal is fresh water. They were correct. The sea snakes never made it through, but other species have. Tarpon are thought to be the first fish that successfully traversed the 50 miles of saline, brackish, and fresh water and then came out the other side. Studies have shown that adult tarpon have plenty of suitable habitat and forage in the Pacific. So why haven't they just taken over that coast? To answer that, you got to look at reproduction. We know tarpon are moving through the canal, but are they successfully spawning? Juvenile tarpon as small as 17 centimeters have been found in a few places, but in 50 years of sampling, no tarpon larvae have been found on the Pacific side. They have, however, been detected at the locks on the Atlantic side. It's possible... The juveniles or larvae are making their way through the canal, but it seems pretty unlikely. Yeah. So the question remains, what's going on? Tarpon are broadcast spawners. The adults gather in in these big groups several miles offshore, and they mix the milt and the eggs. Yeah, yeah. And and then the fertilized larvae then ride wind and currents inshore, and they're looking for brackish canals and lagoons. Because they mature slowly, Young tarpon need a place to live where other creatures won't eat them. Tarpon spend up to the first decade of their lives in low-oxygen backwaters where other predators just can't get to them. They can't live there. There's not enough oxygen. Tarpon can gulp air. Yep. The Pacific Coast experiences far more tidal shift than the Caribbean side. Yeah. Right? And so that means that those baby tarpon really don't have a place to live on the Pacific side, right? Because all those mangroves and lagoons and those those brackish habitats, they get completely flushed out at yeah. low tide. There's no it water makes, there.
3: It makes sense. I mean, even if you just know about fly fishing, like Belize, it's all eastern side because they have all the shallows and right. all the mangroves and stuff on that side of uh, Central America. Right. So so
2: there's a real lack of, of habitat for young tarpon to get through that life stage over there. The most likely hypothesis seems to be That The tarpon, they're spawning in the Pacific, but very few, if any of those larvae, are able to find habitat where they can grow and mature, right? So what you end up with over there is this perfect scenario for growing truly enormous fish, Mm -hmm. right? Some adults are moving through the canal, and a very few juveniles may be surviving into adulthood. That means the tarpon that are on the Pacific side, they just don't have a whole lot of competition from their own species. Yeah. Right. And yeah. fewer apex predator fish in a system often means that individuals have the opportunity to grow exceptionally large, which might explain the crazy huge fish that Jorgensen landed recently. Yep. Finally, I'm going to hit on that invasive species tag. According to researchers, tarpon are not, allow me yeah. to repeat, not considered invasive. That is inaccurate because there are no observed negative impacts of tarpon in the Pacific and no imminent threat of a population boom, they are not labeled as invasive. That's just a fact. Furthermore, they are not likely to become an invasive species for several reasons. First, like we just talked about, the Pacific coast lacks abundant habitat for juvenile recruitment. Second, tarpon are highly susceptible to overfishing. They're pretty easy to catch relatively, and they're very slow to reproduce and grow. With all the subsistence fishing in that part of the world, tarpon are going to get caught and they're going to get eaten if they're around. Yes. That's just going to happen. And third, that part of the world is also experiencing pretty rapid coastal habitat degradation. Again, that's a problem for tarpon. And it's part of the reason that they're listed as a vulnerable species globally. All of that is just best guesses. We don't know any of it for certain. 80 years feels like a long time for Tarpon to have been swimming in the Pacific, but if you think about it, that's only six or seven generations of fish. It's it's possible that Tarpon could find a foothold and take over on that side, but the evidence suggests that's just not likely to happen. In the meantime, though, the coast is probably the best bet if you're looking for a record fish. That's probably where it's gonna happen.
3: So you think it's shifted out of Africa? It was Africa forever. I know it was. I'm I mean,
2: I I think. Based off of what I, no one else is saying that. Like that's just me stepping out a little bit. But if you think about a new species in an open system where they have the ability to grow without much competition from themselves, yeah, I think there's a
3: good chance. Well, if somebody gets down there and gets one, let us know. It won't be me. I did a two hundred one time. I don't ever need to do that ever, ever again. <laughs> You're good. You're once, good. once was plenty. Well. There you go. Man, I, I mentioned last time this came up that I'd heard whispers about this and like little sort of you know talk about the Pacific side, but it's fascinating to to hear that take on it and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. They just don't have the shallows that the east side has. Uh, what I want to know though is more about what's the Indo-Pacific tarpon? Should I be chasing that? <laughs> or is it like is it like the bonefish in San Diego Bay? You ever hear of those? Uh, I have heard of those. See? But it, you haven't been excited enough to go look for them because people no. are like, meh, they're I'm there. I'm not excited enough meh. to go
2: on an Indo-Pacific carbon trip. If <laughs> I happen to be somewhere fishing where they existed, I would probably chase them because it would be cool. But they don't get very big, comparatively. They're they're pretty small.
3: Okay. Where do they live?
2: Well, the Indo-Pacific. So you're talking like <laughs> Japan, Australia, Papua oh, New okay. Guinea, that whole area. I don't. I don't, I don't know the
3: slang terms for these regions. Well, there you go. So they... <laughs> They are not invasive. Uh, Phil, you got a lot to uh, chew on this week. Uh, I took a little shot at you, so maybe that hurt me. Miles called you Caesar, so maybe that'll help him. I don't know. But we're going to hear from either. Phil. We're gonna, He's going to declare a winner. And then we're going to move on to awkward moments in angling. And this one is really awkward and kind of scary. And I'm really hoping uh, more rather than fewer of you watch the movie that I reference <laughs> in this segment. Phil honey, it's time to wake up uh, what? gotta wake up It's time to edit the podcast oh mom yes, oh okay, you ready y-
0: yeah, yeah let's let's do the the podcast how do i how do I do it?
3: okay, see that button there?
0: the blue one
3: push that one
0: o- okay
3: okay, good now edit
0: e- edit and then and- what what do I click now?
3: okay, now I want you to export. Hit the
0: export button. Oh, that's right. Okay, Ex- export to away MP3. A- MP3. Yes. Okay. All right.
1: You got it. I did it. Good job.
0: And the winner for best engineered podcast episode of all time goes to Phil for episode fifty-four event. Is
2: there anyone that you'd like to thank?
0: Whoa. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I guess. Uh, the, the guy upstairs, JC, my boy. How's the view? <laughs> uh, uh, Tony at Arby's, Joe Sermelli, the winner of Fish News this week. Oh, my mom. Mom, thanks for waking me up, and I couldn't have done it without you.
3: <laughs> Bill, honey, it's time to
0: take out the trash. Mom, shut up! You're embarrassing me, God! Why don't you take a picture? it a longer.
3: <laughs> so last time on Awkward Moments, we had a young lady holding a striper that looked like she was about to cry. Remember this mm-hmm. while her husband mm-hmm. stood behind her with a sinister look on his face? And I, I joked that it looked like a movie scene where a female victim is, is held at gunpoint and told like to start walking and don't say a word, right? Well, this week's awkward photo conjures another movie scene. And, and it's the ending to sleepaway camp and the look on antagonist Angela Baker's face during the big end reveal that she's actually been a boy the entire time now if you don't know what i'm talking about look up the ending of sleepaway camp on youtube and you will agree she makes one of the most terrifying faces ever
2: i i had never heard of this movie until come on until you, you never heard of it Come no on. idea
3: on sleepaway camp
2: no no clue but at your request for this <laughs> this segment I did look it up, and I watched the final scene. And yeah, the face is, the, I guess you could call the face terrifying. To me, it looked stupid and cheesy more than terrifying, <laughs> and I have zero desire to watch that film sure at all. all. Man. But sure I see well. why you wanted that reference. I totally get it because the expression on the face of the person in this photo really does mirror the one, where that, the one that that movie ends on. It's very close. Yeah. It's, it's right yeah. there.
3: Yeah. So this week's photo was sent to me uh, via DM by listener Luke Zakel. And he writes, This was taken on the Upper Genesee River in New York. By the way, boom, there's another shout out for the Jenny. It's everywhere. Right? We're making the Jenny famous uh, on the bents. This was taken on the Upper Genesee River whilst fishing for smallmouth with mouse flies. I bumped into a decent brown trout, which was my first mouse trout. He then adds,
2: Side note, this fish was caught after switching out a master splinter that I had thrown for two hours with no <laughs> bites and immediately hooked up on its replacement. Uh, wait a minute. Who was Go it? Go ahead, it, do it. You're going to do was it. Was it you, Joe? Did, did,
3: did you invent the I master splinter fly? It's a, it's a possibility that's my pattern. That's what yeah. I thought. The thing is, what you guys <laughs> I don't know coming. is
2: that we're usually inundated with people fawning over how much they love Joe <laughs> and the splinter and blah, blah, blah. You're, like, so great for making it. So I got to say, I appreciate this because that was a very well-turned, subtle dig. Because yeah. I don't know about you, but,
3: I mean, do you, think, do you think he was suggesting maybe that your fly sucks? You know, I kind of think he was. I think he was. I kind of think he was saying my fly sucks. I think but was. guess what, Luke? Okay, 10 to 15 other people say you're wrong. Okay. Uh, anyway, regardless, regardless of the fly, that's okay. I don't care what she caught it on. Props on the first night round. For sure. Right? That is an accomplishment. And um, luckily, that accomplishment was documented just so well. So well. Just perfect.
2: <laughs> so on to the photo. He, he's night fishing. So obviously the photo was taken in the dark, which is perfect. Because if I were going to make a fly fishing themed horror movie... I think I would want this photo <laughs> for the poster. It, it, yes. And we'll, we'll we explain. We should do
3: that. That's a great idea, by <laughs> the way. It's a whole new genre. Begging. We'll talk, we'll talk after. Begging.
2: <laughs> yeah. So Luke, Luke stands in the foreground on what looks to be a muddy flat. He's wearing socks and sneakers, two-tone gray board shorts, a black Under Armour hoodie, and a very snazzy sling pack right across his chest.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, Luke is, is shaggy blonde and wearing what I'd call, I'll call emo-style glasses.
2: Is that still a thing? Is emo still a thing?
3: I think so. I still, I don't know, I, I don't, I don't know what it is anymore, but I, I, I think I like it. I, I, it's hard to quantify because I don't know what it is. <laughs> I think of emo as Weezer Blue Album, but that's, uh, people will yeah. say I'm wrong. Anyway, he's got a red baseball cap on backwards and strapped around his dome is like a, it's a pretty serious headlamp right oh, yeah. to me it, le- it looks like the kind spelunkers use all right maybe that's that's um, his other hobby maybe he's a spelunker you never it know might be. he's uh we'll have to see it. anybody are there caves on the Genesee river let us know uh he's also got his fly rod in his mouth and while I have to clarify, I'm in no way, shape, or form like knocking the gear, because we're all about fishing what you can afford just for yes. context. Just for context, it appears to be like an older Martin or Shakespeare combo, which I can tell because of the, the thickness of the butt end, the green coloring, mm-hmm. and the rod has like the EVA grips instead of cork. So again, Indeed. not digging, just setting up nope. the
2: photo. Nope, yep. nothing nothing wrong with it. I fished nope. with a very similar rod for many, many years, but yep. it does strike me as a little odd that his chest pack would sell for double the price of his rod, <laughs> reel, and line combined. But I don't know. It, maybe it was a gift. Maybe he was borrowing it from some bougie friend. Doesn't really matter. Let's focus on the image, which has this very strong ethereal quality to it. Yes. Yes. Right? And taking a quick photo in the dark using your phone flash is tricky. And whoever took this doesn't seem like they have solid photography skills, really. No. No. And... Uh, like, pretty much everything except Luke's middle is blurred, like, blurred mm-hmm. to the point where it feels like it's not entirely there or not entirely solid. And that likely didn't result in what he was going for. I, I'm guessing he was going for, like, a bragboard shot of his first mouse brown. Mm-hmm. But what he got was definitely not that. I would, however, say it, it's, it's a lot more interesting.
3: Oh, totally. Totally, right? So Luke is looking down. But not at the blurry 12-inch trout in his right hand. It's almost like he's staring at his friend's feet. And like he's
2: staring f- into the abyss
3: of yeah, evil. It, yeah. And if you photoshopped the rod out of his mouth, it would just look like he's screaming. Yes. Right. Uh and once again, not kidding, his face, it's the end of sleepaway camp, right? So yep. take the rod and the fish out of the shot. And this is like some like evil psychopath that just lunged out of the woods. That or it looks like this was taken at the precise moment. Like he was stabbed in the gut by the psycho killer at the end of a movie, at the end of a horror yeah. movie. It's one of the, it could go either way. He's
2: either the victim or the killer, but either way, it, it works. <laughs> it, it looks like the climax to a horror film with fishing gear added in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think what probably actually happened is he was trying to get situated for the photo. He's like yelling instructions to the photographer while holding his rod in his teeth. And his buddy's just like, whatever, I don't <laughs> care. A, fish isn't that big. He snapped the thing before anybody was ready, he didn't bother to look at it and just told him, yeah, no worries, man. I got it. It looks great. Yep. But yep. he didn't get it, nope. at least not in the way that Luke was, I'm sure, hoping. Luke's left hand is this just a fleshy blur. So yeah. I, he must have been waving it or moving it around, and that motion resulted in, it gives it the appearance that Luke just has no left arm. Yeah. His left no. arm doesn't exist.
3: No, for sure. And did I picture him with the rod, just being like, "Oh, car, one truck or not one and he just went click, and <laughs> yep. like, here's I got your it. picture, man. Um, but yeah, and the, and the position of the blurry left hand, it makes it look like he's got one T Rex arm, which mm-hmm. adds to the creepiness of the whole thing, right? And I know you, people know what a T Rex arm is. Yeah. Like if Luke was chasing you with his arms in T Rex posture and this look on his face, <laughs> like snarling and possibly drooling, you'd be terrified.
2: I would. Point I point. would run yeah. away. If I I ran into this dude on the river I would run. Good
3: picture. It
2: was good. Luke, congrats on the the first Mouse Brown. Yeah, man. I'm sorry Joe's fly sucked, but I'm very happy for you. Whatever. I'm, I'm not sorry about what we said about your photo because, frankly, it's scary. I'm sure you're a very nice dude, but this image could give people nightmares. And if you do get nightmares, let us know. And if you've got an awkward photo that could make us laugh or haunt our dreams, whatever, send it to bent at com, and you just might end up getting roasted on the show. Uh, I don't know if I feel bad, but I do, I do kind of think we made Luke sound scary. Yeah. I don't I, – I, I, it was appropriate, <laughs> but I don't know if it was appropriate. I don't know if it was right. Ah,
3: I, don't, I don't feel that bad. I'm sure he's not. I'm sure he's a lovely young man, right? But in that just that nanosecond sure in time – Right, his face looks like like the, like the screaming spider creature head thing from The Thing. I'm sorry, and I, I found it frightening. I found it frightening. Sorry,
2: no, you're you're. It it was begging <laughs> to be called out. The it is kind of a horrifying image, while also being hilarious. And speaking of being frightened, Joe is going to close out the show with an end of the line segment about a fly you will not find for sale because he invented it. But it's super easy to tie and based around one hell of a fish camp story that will also keep up with this week's um, low-hanging <laughs> sub-theme.
1: Uh, fishy, 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 fishy!
3: That's well, not loud enough, bird. Fair warning, I'm changing names and locations for this one. Matter of fact, I've never told this story publicly, but given our theme of fish camp and despite trying like hell to come up with something better, I just kept coming back to this, knowing in my heart that the time is now and I'm doing the right thing. Years ago, in the before times, meaning the pre-kid times, a group of my best fishing buddies and I would make an annual pilgrimage to fish for Steelhead in, let's say, Michigan. I had been friends with a few veteran guides in the area who always graciously helped secure a crash house and graciously invited me and my buds to crash at it while subsequently helping us get on the fish. What you ended up with, however, were two factions in the house, the older guys and the punk ass 20 somethings. And we all got along smashingly, but naturally we all had different routines, too. The older crew would drink a scotch with dinner and turn in about 9 p.m., which was right around when my crew was 10 beers into a mandatory 30, carrying on while Most Extreme Elimination Challenge roared on the TV in the family room. It was around 11 p.m. when nature called my friend Ron. We'll say Ron. When he came back from the bathroom, he looked shaken and upset. What happened, man? We asked. Ron had opened the wrong door in the hall. Instead of the bathroom, he opened the door of one of our guides, Barry, who was lying fully nude on the top of his made bed, reading a magazine. It wasn't a pornographic magazine, nor did Ron catch him in the act of pleasuring himself. As I recall, Ron said, I think it was like a, a woodworking magazine. Barry was equally startled, of course, and at a loss for words, just blurted out, do you need something? Naturally, upon hearing this, The rest of us just completely lost our shit. And for the entire rest of that trip, we didn't let Ron forget that he saw Barry's junk. Fast forward to the following summer. Back in those pre-kid days, I had all the time in the world to completely refill steelhead boxes before the next winter. And after churning out a hundred fresh Estaz eggs, I decided to get creative. I tied a fly that combined the power of the San Juan worm with the jigginess of the clouser. I put two pink bead chain eyes on a nymph hook added a little pinch of pink ice stub and finished with a long pink chenille tail that I'd singe and roll into a point. It looked more like a bonefish fly than a steelhead fly, but I thought in shallower runs, I might be able to fish it without the obligatory 13 to 15 split shot on your leader. That winter, me, the same crew of buddies and Barry made the annual trek, but compared to the year prior, the fishing was a little slow. About midway through the first day, having gone through 12 colors of eggs and fleas with no luck, I tied on my creation. And within a dozen drifts, no kidding, I was tied into a steelhead. Not a huge fish, but it was a victory. And after I released it, Ron came over and said, hey man, what what did it eat? Now the fly had no name. But at that point, despite my disdain for penis-shaped lures, I looked at the bug in my hand, saw the resemblance and just said, Barry's wiener. I gave a Barry's wiener to Ron and a couple of the other dudes. Now, did they destroy? No, but we stuck a few more Steelies on that little jiggy worm. The problem was that Barry was just as curious about the pattern, which we told him we called the BW. For the next few days, every time Barry yelled out, did you hook that on the BW? We about died. Now, it's been too long since that crew got together for Steel, but if we did, I guarantee someone would still have one of the original BWs in their fly box, and the story still wouldn't have gotten old. So that's it for this week. If you're headed to Fish Camp, and boy, we hope you are, remember, failing to not could result in fly being named after your package. When you're (laughs) trying to shoot that night, Brown, make sure we can see more than dead people. And if you want your Fish Camp adventure filmed, R.A. Biotti will do it for bail money.
2: I, I, I've also heard, I have it on good authority. R.A. runs a special. Hire him to film your quinceanera. Get 12 flies free.
0: Yes. Now, if you want
2: free stickers, all you have to do is keep using those Degenerate Angler and Bent Podcast hashtags on Instagram. If we repost something you tag, you get stickers. Simple yeah. as that.
3: You can also get swag from us if we use something you sent on the show. So please keep all those sale bin items, bar nominations, awkward photos, and anything else you'd think we'd like, uh, come to Bent at themeeteater.com.
2: And if you find a sex toy in the river, maybe next to some majestically rising trout, remember to fillet it on newspaper so it doesn't slide all over the place.